this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Hello, this is Linus Wilson. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. So this weekend, Jana, Sophie, and I, we went to the boat, and this may be the last time that Jana and Sophie go to the boat before me and another crew member will be taking the slow boat to Cuba. We recorded a video, which you may enjoy seeing, of uh, <laughs> me and Sophie and Daly all on the boat. I'm a very new recorder of video, and so it's it's not perfect, but I think you'll enjoy uh, seeing Sophie and Daly's antics. You can catch that if you go to Patreon, dot com slash slowboat sailing and that's the the trailer video that should come to the top of the page under why uh, you should support the podcast so i mentioned this with the sv delos episode but uh, we're going to do that with this episode too this episode we are going to give you the first three chapters of the audiobook of slowboat to the bahamas that is not currently available if you are a listener to David Anderson's sailing podcast, he broadcast the first chapter, but I know many of you may not have heard that episode, and so you would probably want to uh, hear the first chapter too. So uh, I'm giving you the first three chapters, which I think are a lot of fun and shows you what a complete novice I was in 2010 at the start of that book. Nevertheless, if you're a Patreon patron of the podcast, you'll be able to get the first six chapters of Slow Boat to the Bahamas audiobook on the patron-only site on patreon.com. So on the patron-only site, I have put up the bonus interview with Karen and Brady of SV Delos. In future episodes, I plan to put in bonus content of most episodes on the patron-only site of Patreon. So if you visit there and you're you're not at least a dollar uh, an episode or dollar a month patron of the podcast, you can see, you know, some of our more recent podcast posts, uh, but you won't get to see the bonus content. You won't be able to download the free audiobook version of How to Sail Around the World part-time, and I'll probably be putting up more and more free audio chapters of Slow Boat to the Bahamas on the patron-only site. Uh, I've not made that audiobook available. Uh, Of course, you can buy How to Sail Around the World part-time for $9.99 as an album on iTunes. But for Slow Boat to the Bahamas, uh, I think I've recorded about 15 chapters or something, and uh, I plan to make all those available to the patrons of the podcast at Patreon slash Slow Boat Sailing. I want to give a shout out to Rob and Jack, who joined my mother in supporting the Slow Boat Sailing podcast at patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. I promise my mom will not bake you cookies, so don't worry about that. So that leaves us only $17 away from our $20 goal to keep the telecommunications hosting and internet running on the Slow Boat Sailing podcast. And if we hit that goal, I'll give away my number one sailing Kindle bestseller, Slow Boat to the Bahamas, free to everyone in the world. So if you want to give the dream of sailing to exotic foreign islands to every sailor in the world, support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on Patreon. You can get all my books on Amazon.com. So on the boat, besides recording the video, I wanted to measure the nut that holds on the propeller because I've got a spare propeller. We've lost our propeller on our previous boat, Penelope, a CNC 30 Red Wing, and we had to 
replace it, haul it out and replace it in uh, New Orleans when it happened. And since then, I thought a good spare to have if you don't want to lose your engine in remote ports is to have a, a propeller. So we have a spare propeller, but I don't have the nut for the propeller. So if the propeller does fall off, you're usually going to lose the nut too. So hopefully uh, I wanted to measure it. So I went under the, the boat. It was a small craft advisory this weekend. And so we didn't go out and anchor it because we didn't want to go out in the small craft advisory. But we, so I dived at the dock, which is not a terribly good idea. I would not recommend it if you've got a better alternative in the sense that you want to really worry about stray electricity in a marina. You know, there's also nastiness potentially floating in the water in a marina. But I would worry more about the electricity than any uh, actual dirtiness of the water. It, because, you know, people have drowned in the past. And one of the causes that many people think of this uh, was not that they couldn't swim, but they actually were, got a stray electrical charge and they just went to the bottom. So I, I did have Jana and Sophie watch me while I did this. The other thing is you definitely want to turn off your boat's shore power. Uh, I don't think there there weren't any boats beside me uh, which were hooked up to shore power at that time, which was good. Uh, but you definitely want to unhook your boat from shore power and turn off the breaker uh, because you don't want any electrical current going through your boat. Potentially, if you don't, if you're not well grounded could go through for instance the propeller which I was holding on to um, and so when I went under there I was shocked to find that there were probably about 50 or so barnacles on the propeller and we just hauled out last May so if you read slow boat to the bomb as I mentioned that and there were just all these barnacles there it was some seaweed on the propeller it seemed like the propeller was a lot worse than actually the the hull and so I ended up scraping off the barnacles with a flathead screwdriver and using a scrub brush to take off the the bigger bits of seaweed so that took a little longer than I expected I hope my measurements for the nut are okay uh, we'll see uh, it's you know it's you need a very special nut probably stainless won't do it I guess it depends if you have a stainless propeller uh, the, the setup I've had on my boats in the past is we've had a bronze propeller, bronze nut, and stainless shaft, right? And I think that's what we're going to have for this one. And so to find one of these giant bronze nuts is not easy. Uh, you need to be in a fairly big city to find it in your town. And it's probably not easy to order it online and certainly would be very expensive. There's a very good place in New Orleans, I can't remember its name, uh, where you can buy all these weird types of fasteners, uh, which is great and very inexpensive, primarily used by industrial companies. But if you beg that or just ask nicely, they'll probably sell you something for a dollar. So it's a great deal if you can get it. And certainly in a place like Providencia or Cuba, you'd have a hard time finding a comparable piece of merchandise. Uh, so that's something I would like to get before we leave. And I'll make a priority this week of getting. I am pretty much provisioned up. There's just kind of the perishables that I'll get. I'll probably buy a little flour or bisquick uh, before we go. We got some powdered milk and powdered eggs and I think we have enough room to put those on in and daily. Daily weighs about four pounds. The powdered milk weighs about three and a half pounds and takes up as much space. So thanks for all of you that voted on keeping daily and throwing overboard the powdered milk on the, the next cruise. Some of the folks who voted for that on Facebook were Corey Nickerson, Carrie Gruber, Deborah McDonald, Diane Weigel, Catherine Kane and Joseph Meese all 
voted in favor of taking daily and not the powdered milk. Daily may not appreciate your votes, but I do. So on Facebook, the way to catch what we're up to is go to Slow Boat to the Bahamas in the search box in Facebook or Facebook slash Slow Boat Sailing. So two weeks ago, I told Brian Troutman of SV Delos that I thought Delos's videos were good enough to be on cable and I mentioned in the intro to the podcast that I thought the one-armed dynamite bomber who was dynamiting the reefs in the Philippines and Malaysia, the crew of Delos just announced that that video has been picked up for airing on the History Channel Asia and has already aired in the Philippines at the time of this recording and will be airing in Oceania. Congratulations to the crew of SV Delos. I think this is the first of many of their recordings that will make it onto TV. Without further ado, here are the first three chapters of Slow Boat to the Bahamas. Copyright 2015 by Linus Wilson. Production Copyright 2015 Linus Wilson. All rights are reserved, except for brief quotations, no portion of this book may be reproduced without the express written permission of the author. Ox River Publishing, Lafayette, Louisiana, USA, a division of Vermilion Advisory Services. Dedication to my daughter, Sophie Wilson, that she may better know her father, and to my wife, Jana Wilson, M.D., because I have yet to name a boat after her. Chapter 1. The Curse of Iafiatla Yokut. Eafiatla Yokut made me do it. Eafiatla Yokut is not some obscure name for the devil from the apocryphal gospel of Skippy. Eafiatla Yokut is an Icelandic volcano that scrambled air travel in 2010. I was corrupted by Eafiatla Yokut better than Beelzebub himself could have done. Eafiatla Yogurt introduced me to sailing indirectly. Since then, my finances have suffered. My once promising career has stalled. I am less public-minded, and I am absent from home more. Eafiatla Yogurt introduced me to travel to the Bahamas by the slowest means known to man, the sailboat. Nevertheless, the sailboat is fast compared to the waiters in Paris. I had spent the last two big vacations in Paris struggling to become more cultured when Eafiat Layokut spewed its wrath onto the ionosphere. We were thinking of going there for a third year. Our European vacation plans seemed risky with air travel to the old world interrupted by the eruption of a volcano that no one could pronounce. With our plans to soak up European culture in a fortnight covered in ashes, we refocused our attention on soaking up the sun. It was our last big vacation as a childless couple. My wife was pregnant with our daughter. Any future vacations were going to revolve around cartoon mice. This one had better be good. The Caribbean sounded exotic to my American ears. Nevertheless, where does one go in the Caribbean? There are so many different islands and countries. Who can keep track? I knew Cuba has an evil-bearded dictator, mojitos and good cigars. Despite these inducements, it was the travel ban that kept me away. Puerto Rico may be the 51st state, so that was too dull. Ronald Reagan conquered Grenada in the 1980s. Yep, it must be another American colony. Boring. I heard everything awful happens in Haiti. And there were dozens of countries and hundreds of islands that I'd never heard of. A simple solution was to pick the island at the start of the alphabet. We picked Antigua. Technically, the country and island of Anguilla comes before Antigua in the alphabet. 
but I never said I majored in Caribbean geography. The airport was exotically small and the Jeep we rented was romantically old. On the way to our second honeymoon suite, we got lost through dirt trails overrun by a herd of goats. We wound past cricket stadiums funded by the second largest Ponzi scheme in history. The former Knight of Antigua and Barbuda, Alan Stafford, at the time of writing, was serving a 110-year prison sentence in the U.S. Chickens frequently interrupted our progress until we found ourselves at a six-room hotel surrounded by tropical plants with a little beach facing onto Falmouth Harbor. Well, you know, the trouble with paradise is it can be kind of boring. Actually, as you may have gathered, I was running a little faster than island time. Boredom drove me to boating. There was little else I could do. In addition, our room's air conditioner stopped because there was a blackout on our block for, for some inexplicable reason. I could not ch charge my laptop and the heat was impressive. Thus, water provided the best relief from the July swelter at 17 degrees north latitude. The hotel had a sunfish dinghy and kayaks for guests. I struggled with the 120-pound sunfish dinghy. I could not drag it to the water. I only attracted the ire of fire ants on the beach. Then I opted for the lighter kayaks. There were some interesting rocks on the other side of the harbor, so I paddled slowly. I was kind of shocked by the sailboats at anchor in the harbor that morning. There were people on them. One unshaven man with hair askew sat in the cockpit of a big catamaran with a cup of coffee. I'd never considered the possibility that people might sleep or live on a sailboat, but that man appeared to be doing just that. After staring at him for five minutes that it took me to go the hundred yards, he finally retreated to the cabin for privacy from the prying eyes of the bumpkin on the yellow kayak. After my wife woke up, I told her of my little adventure and my inability to move the sunfish. I begged her to help me launch the strange contraption. Oh, I used to sail a sunfish all the time. Our neighbor in Wisconsin had one and he let us use it, replied my wife. In eight years of marriage, she had never mentioned her misspent youth gliding along the inland lakes. What other dark secrets was she hiding? I bet the neighbor had better hair than I. Of course, I had never been on a sailboat before. The five foot three inch pregnant lady had no trouble getting the boat into the water. We piled into the boat. We flew around the harbor at ten times the speed of the kayak. In no time, we were at the mouth of the harbor and on the verge of entering the Atlantic Ocean. I was then struck with the sudden urge to sail to Africa. Let's sail out of the harbor and look around, I said. My wife dismissed my suggestion without comment and tacked back towards the hotel. It was a good thing, too because the Northeast trades would have most certainly pushed us to Panama and not my intended destination of Africa. After some begging, she gave me the thing that she seemed to steer with that she called the tiller. This worked out fine until we had to turn. We eventually came on a collision course with one of the anchored boats. I tried pushing the tiller, which had us headed the opposite way that I intended to go. Next I pulled it the other way, which put us on a collision course for the anchored boat. Finally I pulled it harder over and the metal thing attached to the sail started coming at me. I did the only rational thing that one can do when your boat takes a swipe at you. I jumped overboard. My wife ducked. I hauled myself aboard and the laughing sunfish skipper glided us back to the beach. Cooped up in a sweaty bungalow with my pregnant wife, 
Cravings drove me to the only American-style supermarket on the island. My craving for chocolate cake induced my wife to drive me to the condo jungle of Jolly Harbor. Antigua has rock vistas looking out to the sea, a quaint city in St. John's, jungles, rolling countryside, and marvelous historic anchorages in Falmouth and English harbors. Nevertheless, you can escape all the beauty in Jolly Harbor. For those who want to get their fix of Floridian heaven and trade winds, Jolly Harbor is the place. After touring the set of the straight-to-DVD movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Grocery Store, my wife and I strolled around the docks of the large modern marina. Big shiny new boats lined the docks. Unlike the more lived-in boats on the south side of the island, Jolly Harbor's dock screamed, I have plenty of money to own my own boat that I am too old to use. We stumbled upon a boat brokerage. I pored over the listings of boats by their length and feet. Suspiciously, the listings were not in the local currency, but in U.S. dollars. I had sticker shock. Where were all the zeros? Not bad. We could dump the house, liquidate the retirement accounts, and buy a boat for a few hundred grand. Natural childbirth is free, right? I asked my wife. Do you think we should pay twice as much for the catamarans, or should we settle for a larger monohull? She said we didn't need a catamaran. That was all the confirmation I needed. We were getting a boat today! We walked into the brokerage. We are new to sailing, but we are interested in getting a sailboat, I blurted out. The kind woman must have either taken pity on me or the lady with the child. You might want to take some sailing lessons first, she suggested. She pointed out that there were many educational sequences with the United States or American in the title. I gathered that that meant we might be able to take classes after we left Paradise. Yes, but I want to take lessons now, I interjected. The Antigua Yacht Club might be able to arrange some classes for you, she suggested. Imagine walking into a Chevy dealership saying you want to buy a Malibu and the salesman suggesting that you go back to trade school before getting out your checkbook. Little did the kind broker know that suggesting to my wife and me that we should get more education was like giving vodka to a drunk. We could not resist. No couple is more over-optimistic about the value of formal education than we are. My wife was soon on the phone to the yacht club. We had a lesson at 4 p.m. There are many great mysteries of the world. At that moment, no greater mystery gripped my imagination than what was inside those sailboats that allowed poorly shaven men to live in them. I was foiled in my attempts to tour large sailboats at the brokerage, but on my way to our lesson we strolled past a huge boatyard. The yard had a high locked chain link fence and a forest of huge sailboats on blocks. If I stood on the shoulders of my wife, I might be able to scale the fence. Sadly, she strolled on before I could broach the cunning plan. We were running late after all. The Antigua Yacht Club was just like other perceived bastions of elitism, the ancient colleges of England, which I had spent too much time in. A little dark, dank, and dirty, it had pool tables and a bar. I liked it immediately. Our sailing instructor was tall, young, and very confident. He pointed out the big pillar reaching for the sky in the middle of the dinghy we would train on. That is a mast. Then he said, as he pointed at the metal bar coming from the mast attached to the back of the sail, this is the boom. What a fantastic language they spoke in Antigua. Everyone on the island speaks English unless they're tourists like us. 
First, we do some classroom training, and then we get on the boat. He drew us a clock with the wind at 12 o'clock. Between 10 and 2 o'clock is the no-go zone. The boat no-go that close to the wind. There you got to tack the boat so it faces below 10 and above 2. If the bow of the boat goes between 5 and 7 o'clock, you got a jibe, and that is dangerous, he said. Okay, we should never jibe to be safe, I said. No, you just got to be careful because the boom can swing around fast when you jibe. It may hit you in the head and knock you off the boat. If I only had hands-on experience, I might be able to understand more of what he was talking about. When are we going to get on the boat, I thought. All three of us got towed out in the 12-foot plastic sailing dinghy by an inflatable boat with an outboard motor attached. My wife and I would get a turn pushing the tiller this way and that while the sails were limp. English Harbor has high hills on almost all sides that protect it from the wind and make it a great anchorage. For that reason, and the guns mounted on the hills, the English Navy used to keep its sailing ships there. Lord Nelson battled malaria for a few years in this harbor before going on to eternal fame. That is his death in the Battle of Trafalgar. The instructor would pull on some rope leading to the front sail periodically, but most of the time we drifted. We had moved up in the world. We were on a sailboat with two sails, not just one like the sunfish. If I became really good at sailing, I might have a clue what he was doing with those ropes. Those are not ropes. They are jib sheets. Boats don't have ropes. They either have halyards for raising the sails, sheets for controlling the jib, and the main and lines for everything else, he explained. You are moving the jib sheets, I said. No, the jib is the front sail. Jibe is when the boom swings around, when you're sailing downwind. The words are spelled differently, he corrected. As with all other subsequent lessons, eventually he got tired of drifting, and the lesson would end with another instructor towing us back to the dock. When I suggested moving out of the harbor into the Atlantic to get some wind, he just shook his head. The power outage at our hotel lasted the rest of the stay. We were moved to an apartment with a landlord who gave us a ripe mango as a gift. He took us to his outdoor bar and was disappointed to hear that we were both abstaining from alcohol for the pregnancy. Perhaps sailing is a substitute for strong drink. He told us of how our country invaded his boyhood island of Grenada two decades earlier. We found the American invasion of Antigua was ongoing when we moved to our last hotel next to the Sandals Resort. We beat a hasty retreat from the island the next day. Chapter 2. No Wind Equals Great Sailing Some pastimes only make sense in a certain locale. One will only crave Philly cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. Actually, I never craved Philly cheesesteaks when I lived there. Anyway... What happens in Antigua stays in Antigua. Isn't that the slogan? We waited a long time before we started sailing back in the USA. My wife could not call the New Orleans Sailing School until after the plane taxied to the gate. No one answered. It was Sunday. Because my wife and I did not want to take things too fast, we waited nearly two weeks before our first lesson in New Orleans. Our employers refused to let us off at noon so we could drive to sailing lessons a hundred plus miles away. I had to be in town for her patients every other weekend. Thus we took the first lesson in New Orleans 13 whole days after arriving in the U.S. We clearly had taken to heart a laid-back island attitude towards life. Weekend sailing lessons had one black furry complication. Interstate 10 is really something that should not be experienced for more than three hours per day. That meant a round trip from Nola to Lala, 
New Orleans, Louisiana to Lafayette, Louisiana was out of the question. For this reason, we always got a hotel on Saturday night. We were limited to the deluxe accommodations that allowed dogs in the rooms. We could not abandon our four-pound toy poodle for two days straight. He might sleep for 20 hours a day instead of 19 hours a day if we were gone. Our dog daily, despite his insubstantial size, had an oversized idea of his importance as a guard dog. Very few non-expecting visitors to NOLA stick to sobriety. When the obligatory drunken revelers in our hall stumbled into their rooms at 2 a.m., Daly wanted everyone on the floor to know it and went into mad barking fits. If we sailed in the Great Salt Lake country, we would have at least gotten some uninterrupted sleep. Sleep deprivation made us susceptible to the weather disease. It started with the secretary who scheduled lessons. She would cancel lessons if the forecast was too rainy, too windy, or had too high a chance of lightning. Lightning almost always is on the forecast in the afternoon in Louisiana during the summer. Our instructor would always show us the satellite chart before going out. Was the spot of orange or red likely to roll in before we tied up? Our most used apps were the weather forecasts. The wind and wave forecasts were the most discussed. I never devised the formula decisively. Forecast for calm 5 to 10 knot winds or 10 to 15 knot winds meant the lesson was on. 15 plus knot winds meant the lesson was off. Rain canceled the lesson. Inevitable thunderstorms canceled the lesson. What is the update of wind projections from a half hour ago? Are the waves going to be 1 to 2 feet or 1 foot? I had to get half hour updates for the lesson 5 days away. The most common intraday text to my wife was about the Saturday-slash-Sunday forecast on Lake Pontchartrain, the sailing playground of New Orleans. Wind was not a key ingredient in our sailing lessons in both Antigua and New Orleans. Typically, it was hot and humid and without wind on the days we sailed. 90-plus degrees Fahrenheit with 60-plus percent humidity was the norm. The school looked out on a beach volleyball center. The sand acted like an oven in the midday sun as we waited for the instructor to open up the air-conditioned office. The school's namesake came in to give us a pep talk on the first day. To borrow a phrase from a former Texas senator, in reference to the 41st president, in my opinion, the sailing school owner started on first base, was tagged out trying to steal second, and acted like he hit a home run. He told us about all the big yachts he had sailed on. Yes, he loved to call them yachts. The sailing school owner had sailed on a lot of big, mass-produced boats with extraordinarily large crews. This clearly made him important and interesting. I wondered where I would find my able-bodied crew of four for my brand new 50-foot production yacht. Perhaps that would be taught in the second lesson. After we were sufficiently awed with his presence, he said something relevant. Remember, don't freak out on the water. The boat's going to heal. It won't fall over and capsize. You're not going too fast. The boat's only going less than six miles per hour. The sum of his wisdom having imparted on us, we were given over to a part-time instructor. After the owner on the first day, we only had one instructor. He was an old maritime lawyer, former Coastie, U.S. Coast Guard officer, and an all-around old salt. Despite his love of sailboats, he did not own one. On Wall Street, it is said, the most money is to be made from managing other people's money. He had a sailor's version. The best way to sail is on other people's boats, he said. If only that latter phrase was in the textbook, my wife and I, who missed one and zero questions respectively on the written exam at the end of the course, might have learned it. 
He extolled the virtues of crewing on other people's boats at races. I wondered if our newborn would make a good crew for the Wednesday night beer can races. My wife always expressed a desire afterward to crew the races. She was never off on Wednesdays to attend them. The Sunday races for which she was in town subsequently, she would always refuse to volunteer to a race despite my offer of babysitting. I guess racing was something she wanted to do more in theory than in practice. I got a pretty macho vibe about the club racing scene and was skeptical if either my wife or I would fit in, even if we had a transporter from Star Trek that would beam us to NOLA on Wednesday night. There is a limited machismo at cross-country practice and even less at weekend 5K races. Club sports among university nerds in the UK was about all the tough guy team sports that would have me. I could always tout my boating experience as a rower. After six weeks of intense training, my rookie crew's only race ended in disaster as I broke my oar and the race turned into a rout. In rowing, as with many other things, my wife's rowing career was far more successful. Unlike our instructor, who told stories of his sailing in diapers, sailboat racing would be a brand new sport for a pair of 30-somethings who did not like to have the boat heel too much. Several years after our 101 lessons in New Orleans, I tried to beg myself on a Wednesday night race. On a super-fast J-boat with a crew of 25, I managed nearly to fall overboard on a light wind day. Most of the other crew had never been on a sailboat. I was trying to act as rail meat, shifting myself from one side of the boat to the other based on the more experienced crew members' instructions. On an adjusted score basis, the boat finished last in a field of 30. I'm still waiting for an invitation to crew for the next race. 90% of our on-the-water training consisted of figure eight man overboard drills. In this drill, you don't want to jibe. Thus, you turn around always by heading into the wind, tacking. One student is at the helm. One student tended the jib sheets, which control the front sail. Another points at the flotation device, which is the man overboard. No, it is not a good idea to throw one of the students overboard unless he is very annoying. Then the third or fourth student tries to grasp the float with her hands or a boat hook. The curriculum emphasizes man overboard drills because it is an excuse for tacking into the wind. This is just an excuse to practice sailing close hauled and tacking. It has little to do with life saving. This is the most impractical safety drill devised by man. In practice, most non-racers will be lucky to have one other able sailor on board. The odds that the second sailor noticed that the first one fell overboard is also slim. There will be no pointer or person to retrieve the drowning sailor. Moreover, doing a figure eight on a sailboat takes between 100 yards and 2 miles. Either way, the man overboard will be almost impossible to find if there are any waves. Anyone with a lick of sense would turn on the engine and do a 360 degree turn to get back to the sailor as quickly as possible before he or she is lost in the waves or succumbs to hypothermia, which happens very quickly in all but the most tropical locations. Actually, the most difficult part is never practiced getting someone aboard. If you don't have a boarding ladder or a swim step, this person is almost guaranteed to drown if the water temperature is below 70 degrees. Yes, you may be able to string a line on the boom and through the winch and under the hypothermic sailor's arms, but the odds of this working in time is less than 50-50. Chapter 3 Serial killers in crab pots, boat shopping in Cajun country. Owning a boat is widely considered equivalent to dread illness in its ability to siphon large chunks of one's time and finances. With our Sailing 101 course behind us, 
it was time for my wife and me to buy a boat or give up on sailing. The charter market in New Orleans left a lot to be desired at that moment. You could charter a 22-foot day sailor with no cabin for $250 for four hours after paying a skipper $100 more for a checkout cruise. That was the same boat we trained on. It was fast and maneuverable, but too much so for my taste. Our last 101 lesson was with a squall approaching and the cold air blowing in. My seven-month pregnant wife and I sat five feet off the water on a boat with 18 inches of freeboard, while another student steered with a mad scientist gleam in his eye, which was shared by the instructor. I suggested that I would like to learn how to reef the boat when it was my turn to steer. The instructor ignored me and launched him to another story of his racing days as a boy in the Bay State, which involved a wild jibe and a capsized boat. Finally annoyed by my constant luffing of the sails, interjections about the virtues of reefing, and noticing that my non-existent biceps could barely budge the tiller of the over-canvas boat, he relented and pulled in a reef right before dropping all sail. Luffing is sailing too close to the wind and causing the front sail to collapse and, and lose power. I could never imagine having my soon-to-be newborn daughter on a charter of that boat. Seeing the high prices of brokerage boats, I quickly turned to Craigslist boats for sale by owner. I did not really have a budget in mind. I just wanted something cheap that was ready to sail. My wife bought me a book called My First Sailboat. It extolled the virtues and the money-saving qualities of trailer-roll sailboats. Who wants marina fees when you can store your boat in your backyard? Unfortunately, I forgot that we lacked enough yard to park a boat in the front or back. I visited a trailer-roll boat close to my house. The 23-foot O'Day was listed at $5,000. Frankly, their house was a Cajun paradise of off-road vehicles, big heavy equipment, and the horns of dear conquests of yore. I found it on a huge trailer in a huge airplane hangar. The pleasant owner and his wife showed me up an old stepladder, and I plunged into the round tub while pestering them with questions. I asked, What do you tow the boat with? The owner replied, The truck in the driveway. I went into a brand new Chevy Silverado 3500 extended cab that appeared that it could tow my house. Do you think my car could tow the O'Day? He shook his head. After I pointed to my subcompact hatchback, you'll need a truck. The trailer is not included in the price. 2500 for the trailer. It's a nice trailer, I responded. How long does it take to rig the boat after trailering? About half a day, the kind man responded. I asked the owners if they sailed the boat on Vermilion Bay, which was the closest access to the Gulf of Mexico from the owner's house. The owner's eyes widened, the man said. We tried it a few times. Vermilion Bay gets rough. It can get pretty scary in this boat. The wife interjected, We like Lake Arthur. It is only a few miles wide, but it's closer and smoother sailing. The boat is a nice place to camp out in a secluded spot for the weekend. Lake Arthur was famous for its unsolved string of murders of eight young women at that time. Perhaps my wife is too old to be the target of a serial killer, I thought. Smooth sailing and serial killers. That was something I never considered. Clearly it was time to explore other options. My wife and I liked the idea of spending more time in New Orleans, so we turned our attention to boats listed on Lake Pontchartrain. A Cal 25 was listed for $2,000. With that price, I thought, it had to be the boat for us. The owner met my increasingly pregnant wife and me at a swamp on the north shore of the lake. The Cal 25 was mud-bound next to a small finger slip with water plants floating on the surface and four-inch dragonflies buzzing around. The owner talked about the TV set 
and the microwave included in price. My wife and I just love to watch the TV. It's great for DVDs, he said. If the 120-volt appliances from Walgreens were not nautical enough, the boat's walls were decorated in blue wallpaper that preserved the mold from the odd dry spell that occurs even in Louisiana's swamplands. In retrospect, the boat had probably been stripped of every piece of useful gear, which had been transferred to the owner's new bigger boat. The owner bragged, I've only put $50 into this boat since I bought her. You won't have to worry about maintenance costs at all. What he should have said was, I deferred all the maintenance costs for you to pay through the nose, newbie. I asked if we could take it for a sale. The owner said it was a little windy, and he prefers to go out in the morning before the wind picks up. After we reiterated our interest in a sale, it became a matter of pride for the big Cajun. The faded Evinrude 15 horsepower long shaft choked to life after a few mighty tugs from the bearded giant, and we puttered down the bayou into the great estuary. Lake Pontchartrain at that inlet was about 25 miles north to south, and that means the south wind has a lot of fetch to the north shore where we were. The lake is shallow in most places, under 15 feet, and thus turns up a lot of chop when the wind freshens. On a good-sized boat, or even this boat properly maintained and rigged, the conditions could have made for a fun sail. Here, the lines were near breaking point in several places, and the winches were undersized or conspicuously missing. Thus, the six-foot-six-inch owner used his brute force to fling up the mainsail while we pondered what it felt like to be a socket during a spin cycle. We attempted to beat into the wind, but lacking essentials like sheets long enough to be trimmed, the old boat was knocked around from side to side. The sails only made us at the mercy of the building gusts and pushed us closer to the lee shore. The owner dropped the jib and dropped the main while my wife tended the tiller. The owner took the helm and the outboard went clunk, more strenuous lifting by the big man, ensued and he wrestled the long shaft into the cockpit. A crab pot had wrapped the propeller. Lake Pontchartrain is littered with crab pots. I have never wrapped the prop with one because I observed early on, if I steer clear of them, I will almost hit the thing I am trying to avoid. Ignoring the crab pot until the last second ensures it will pass far to the boat's port or starboard. When one is facing the front of the boat, the port is the left side of the boat and the starboard is the right side of the boat. After five minutes more of drifting towards the swamp reeds, he finally untangled the trap and plopped the prop back in the lake. More pulling, cursing, checking, and pulling eventually willed the old outboard into life. He motored up the bayou and back to the Cal 25's resting place in the mud. The owner, ignoring the near-drowning experience, said with his best-used-car salesman smile, She's all yours for $2,000. You'll even get two weeks of free slip fees. I beg that he give us a moment. My very pregnant wife took me aside in the car and, and excitedly said, That was fun! I like it. Should we get it? My heart filled with love and pride for the mother-to-be. So patrons of the podcast will get the next three chapters. The patrons of the podcast will hear how we found our first boat, SV Penelope, for $4,600. And how I formed my ideas about cruising in the squally waters of the northern gulf coast and it, by chapter six you'll find out why and how we bought the slow boat which took us to the bahamas after three years of owning penelope we're running a half off sale on slow boat to the bahamas on amazon.com in its ebook version for 4.99 tell your friends about the podcast 
podcast is 100% free. It's going to stay that way for a long time. Next week, we have the crew of Wicked Salty and talk about their buying a boat very similar to our first boat and taking that boat all the way to the Bahamas in their 20s. I think we'll make the whole interview available to Patreon subscribers, but we'll definitely publish part one next Wednesday of Wicked Salty. In two weeks, I plan to release my interview with Nikki of White Spot Pirates in episode 14, and we hear about her cruises of Panama and the Western Caribbean. You should check out both their YouTube channels. You will be glad you did. And we have many, many more great episodes coming up of guests that I've interviewed, but I've not told you about. I can't wait to bring them to you. Of course, check out our page at patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Like us on Facebook. Join the free newsletter so you can know when freebies like free books are coming out or discounts or any other interesting tidbits that we've learned in our cruising. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.